We continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 today. What memories I have of raising two children from the initial day when they entered this world to the day that I pronounced them husband and wife to their mates as they formed their own new family under God. What a ride! From the laughter around our dining room table, family trips, serious talks late into the evening, waiting up for the return from a date or from a show choir trip, helping them process their hurts, their disappointments, having to show them the error of their ways and the error of their thinking and doing it all in love. All the while, a loving wife who is a team with me in all of this, what rich memories I have. And here's what's so amazing. It begins all over again when you have grandchildren. Amen? I didn't know what kind of joy it was going to be, but grandkids are great. This parent-child relationship is not for the faint-hearted, amen? Uh. It's, it's at best a roller coaster ride. For some of you, it's been a bad amusement park ride filled with terror and heartache, pain and disillusionment. And I'm glad to know that God assigns our children to us as parents. It is not by random luck that we end up with the kids that we have as ours that make up a family. Today we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, to look how this relationship is to work, this parent-child relationship that God has created the family unit. It's not something that we created as people. This was God's idea from the very beginning. We continue in this series, especially since chapter 4, verse 1, on mutual submission. And today we're going to see mutual submission in the family. And I'll tell you right now, the only way that is possible is to be spirit-controlled, spirit-filled. And so we need to make sure that we go back to Ephesians 5.18 and to say, Spirit of God, fill each one of us as parents and as children in this process. Now we're in this section which I've entitled Walking Worthy, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. And the Father has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our future glory with Christ as His bride. And this Holy Spirit which He has given us is to be a controlling influence in each of our lives to live for Him. 
as He controls me, it leads each one of us into mutual submission. So let's look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's all we're going to look at this morning. It's amazing how much is tied up in these four simple verses. To fill in the blank in your outline, if you wish to, children are asked to submit to authority, the authority of their parents. And as we look through verses 1 through 3, I think there's something that I don't want you to jump over in understanding. This command is to be given to children themselves. Children are to learn this. Now, when I say that, what I'm also saying is this command is not given to parents to force it down their throat. This is to be something that a child hears God's Word, begins to understand their need to obey and honor, and it becomes something internal within them as a way of living their life. And it says, honor your, or, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, which means that it's for a child, as I learn to obey, as I'm doing it because that's part of who I am, it's because the Spirit is energizing me through His ministry. I am doing it not just to my parents, I am doing it to the Lord. And a child, if you wish to honor God in your life, you learn to obey your parents. Sometimes as parents, we we see that command and we say, how can I help my child understand this? That's okay. But when I force that truth upon them and, and bend them to that without something internally happening within them, we violate them. Now what are the two commands that are given to children? And just so we don't get too far from this, how many of us here are children this morning? See, every hand should be going up because you're here and alive. So what are the commands to us as children? Well, the first one is obey. This is not blind obedience, but this is obedience in harmony with God's will, which means there are limitations to what a child has to obey. If my dad would have said to me, Brian, I want us to go into the store and I want you to steal something off the shelf and I'm going to watch for the guard for you and for the 
uh, loss prevention people, do I need to obey that? Well, two people say no. But it was from my dad. No. It's not within God's will. It's, it's, he has limitations to what he can ask me to obey. It's also not voluntary submission. Like the wife is asked to submit to her husband. Paul does not say, children, submit to your parents. No, he says, obey. Obey. When we were raising our children, there was a phrase that I used with them on a regular basis that they learned to hate. And the phrase was prompt obedience. Prompt obedience. If I'm going to ask you to do something, you do it. Now, why? And as they got older, I explained to them, son and daughter, I have your hand. As I give you some command, I would like you to reply promptly to that because one day I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to place it in the hand of God. And I'm going to say, son or daughter, you now are responsible to him. And the prompt obedience you learn from your mother and father, I want you to promptly obey what the Spirit of God is saying to you. What the Word of God is saying to you. Prompt obedience. That should be a goal of every child. But obedience only lasts while they're under your responsibility. But the second word is found there in verse 2. Honor. Honor. Honor goes beyond obedience. It involves a proper attitude and appropriate behavior. Now, obedience only takes place for a season. For the years that they are under my tutelage. Honor, on the other hand, is always appropriate even as adult children. Even if it means, I know in some of our lives, you have to put up strong boundaries between you and your parents. They don't quite have their act together. They make messes in your life. And so you put boundaries in place. But you're still called to honor them no matter what your age. Honor is always necessary. And failure to honor our parents is an insult to the God who chose them as, their, as our parents and gave them to us. Now, side note. The less integrity that a parent has, the more difficult it is to honor them. So can I help you as parents? Be people of integrity. Give your children an easy road to honor you. Don't, don't keep messing up. Don't having an inside personality and a 
public personality. No. It should be all the same. Now, in the text, verses 1 through 3, he gives us four reasons why we should do this. The first one is found in verse 1. For this is right. It is the right thing to do. There is rightness in these actions of obeying our parents. Why? Because it reflects God's righteous character to us and to others. So when I obey, I reflect a bit of God. It's right. Secondly, it is scriptural. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He is looking back at Exodus 20, verse 12. And Paul points back to the Ten Commandments and saying, this is the first commandment actually linked to a promise. So it is scriptural. Thirdly, it's in the best interest of the child. Verse 3, that it may go well with you. The best interest of the child. See, obedience brings blessing and life. Obedience leads to order and stability. And a person who honors and obeys parents as a youngster and then honors them as they grow up is actually one who is likely to obey God in other areas of their life. Fourthly, also found in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Obedience and honor promotes a full life. A full life. This is a general promise, not an absolute promise. And the principle is, obedience fosters self-discipline, which brings stability and longevity to each of our lives. So children, obey your parents. Children, honor your father and your mother. Now let's look at the duty of fathers found in verse for fathers, and that word fathers can also be translated parents. But in this case, the father has the ultimate responsibility in the home to make sure that order is maintained. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord. Just like children are submissive to the authority of parents, parents are submissive to the needs of the child. And number one, there is a need for sensitivity and responsible leadership. Sensitivity and responsible leadership. 
no two children are alike. Amen? I mean, you have two children in the same family, they're both the same gender, and you look at them and they look similar, but they are so different. One's sports-minded, one is into the arts. Neither is right, neither is wrong. They're just different. And they both came from the same set of parents. Figure that out. I can't. We need to, to develop our sensitivity. We need to become students of our children. What is their bent? How do they process life? What are their strengths? Their growth areas? What brings them joy? What might be God's plan for their lives? My question is, do you listen to them? Do you treat them with respect? With mutual submission? Do you understand where they have courage and where they don't? What is their learning style? What is their temperament? What is their development stage that they're now at? Learn about them. But then he says in the passage, fathers, do not provoke them. Do not, that's one of the first responsibilities, do not provoke them. Do not arouse resentment. Do not stir up a child's anger. Fathers, do not exasperate them. Embitter them. Because their exasperation will bring disillusionment and anger and is counterproductive to leading a child into adulthood. How do we do that? I've put in your overflow section a couple different lists, but let me give you some that I thought of as well, too. How do we provoke our children? It's too easy for us as dads to demand too much, to expect too much, to frustrate them, to cause them to lose heart. Constant nagging. My, my wife will tell you, nagging doesn't work for me. Matter of fact, I think for many people, nagging just causes us to be more resolute in what we planned on doing. How else do we provoke our children? Unreasonable demands, petty rules, favoritism, iron-fistedness, harshness. That one I had to underline and think about because I remember going back as we had small, small children because of the family I grew up in, my wife would sometimes pull me aside and say, Brian, you're being too harsh. What? Your tone of voice is just crushing the kid. I, I didn't see it at first. 
I, I had to moderate my tone. How about making promises to your child and not keeping them? Being overbearing, inconsistent in our own example. Some of you, whether you realize it or not, regularly humiliate your child. Now, it's one thing to go in the store and all of a sudden you start singing to the tune over the loudspeaker system and your kid says, Oh, Dad, stop that! Take it up with your own family, sir. But there are times when we purposely put them in their place in a public setting and we cause them to lose face with friends, with peers. That's humiliating. We put them down. We, we try to control them. What's the implication of what I've just said? Fathers must discipline themselves first. How can I build into the life of my child when my life isn't under the Spirit's control in the first place? It just doesn't work. I think often humility and grace are in short supply in our families. Don't provoke them. Secondly, nurture them. It says in the text, bring them up. That is the word nurture. Matter of fact, that same word is found in Ephesians 5, 29. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The, the Christ nourishes the church, amen? He takes care of us. We're to bring up our children. We're to nourish them. Now it says, doesn't say we're to bring them down. No. This nurturing involves tenderness and, and gentleness. Each of our children are beautiful flowers that over time blossom and bloom and are beautiful to look at. And sometimes we as fathers and as parents are so insensitive that we crush the flower. And we wonder why our kids react. Why anger builds up in their life. Because we fail to nurture just as Christ does us. Our lack of nurture causes them to react to life. React to life and how we treat them. But we as parents, are to nurture them so that they are inspired to learn and grow physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Don't provoke them. Nurture them. 
Thirdly, discipline them. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We're to direct them and at times correct them. And if you want to jot in your notes, Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11 talks more about this process of discipline. But I think so often we have confused discipline with punishment. Discipline is meant to build godly character in me. Punishment is meant to appease some need that I have as a dad because I have been hurt. I have been violated. You have not listened to me, child. That's punishment. Makes me feel better for a moment. Discipline is far more hard to mete out properly. Discipline them. And finally, instruct and encourage them. Make sure that your instructions are age-appropriate. That they're not done in anger, but in love. We have as parents this opportunity to build an environment of grace and love, support, respect, and encouragement within our families. And understand, he ends up this verse with the discipline and instruction of the Lord to remind us that the Lord is the source of the training. The Lord is the one working in and through us as parents so that our children grow up honoring the Lord. It's not to honor us, it's to honor Him. See, the Lord is to be the center of our relationships, the center of the teaching that we bring, the center of the learning in our child's life. So parents, it's a hard job. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand your own child and how to bring to bear in their life the things that will nurture and encourage but also shape and mold them. And the most powerful thing you can do is how you model your own life as obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're watching you. What does this mean for us? Parents are held responsible by God for the lives that we bring into this world. God expects us to wisely train our children according to the principles revealed in His Word. This is primarily accomplished by our modeling and mentoring. That is the primary way that God is changing your child. And we as parents must be walking worthy as adults so that our children will learn to live lives pleasing to the Lord. Examine your own life. What is the model that I am exhibiting before my children? Does God have more work to do? Yes. 
Do we fail? Yes. Would you admit that to the Lord? Secondly, children, and I'm glad you're here today. See, when this this passage was read as a letter, the church back then in the first century met as families. So I'm glad that we haven't started children's church yet because you could hear this today. Children, grow in your learning and how to obey your parents. I will tell you not only from the Word of God, which should be alone enough, but I will tell you from experience that learning obedience to your parents will serve you well. It will serve you well all the rest of your life. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it makes no sense what mom and dad are asking you to do. But if it is not contrary to God's will and God's word, then just do it. Do it with the proper attitude. Do it as unto the Lord, not just to them. Thirdly, as parents, we have all blown it. We have failed at times. Would you take some time in the next day or so, and then would you admit this to God? And matter of fact, would you admit this to your mate and to your children as well? I know it's going to take some humility. I know you need to ask forgiveness from all three, from God, from mate, from children. Finally, Some of you had terrible parents. Let's not make excuses. Some of you have had great parents. You have not a clue what I am saying this morning, and thank God you don't. But I have shared in the past that I grew up with two alcoholic parents who physically and verbally abused me. I'm going to ask you to consider today, I don't care whether your parents are still living or they're dead, but you must take them to the place of forgiveness. For your own mental and physical and spiritual health, you must say, God, I choose to forgive my mom or my dad. The scars they have left on me emotionally I will never recover from. But until you do that, you remain a prisoner of that pain and shame that you lived with. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't do that, what happens is that bleeds over into the relationship between you and your children. Release them through forgiveness. God will take care of the situation. Can you do that? Some of you need to. I don't often share super personal things, but this one was on Facebook. So that's now fair game. My daughter on Father's Day 
wrote a Facebook about me. I think this will help you understand what I've been trying to say this morning. She writes, although he's not on Facebook, my dad deserves a special shout out. Not only he's the father to my brother and I, but he has been a shepherd to so many through the years. He gave me an example of what an incredible husband could be. So I'd set the bar high and find what I was looking for in a mate. Thanks for being the first man to love me, Dad. I love you. Happy Father's Day. When we build into our children and they understand their need to obey, not only us as parents, but God himself. When we model and mentor our children year after year, they become not only more like Christ, but they become more like us, both positive and not so positive. But ultimately, we want our children to succeed. Amen? We want them walking with Christ. They're going to watch your modeling. And they're going to watch things that you never thought they saw. But they've seen. They've processed. They understand they know our inconsistencies. But hopefully they know we're on their team. We love them. We nurture them. We want the best for them. So redouble your efforts. No matter how old your children become, I'm finding out, you're still parenting. Amen? You're still parenting. And what is the joy in my life, one of the many? I get to start all over again with eight grandchildren who are looking again to grandpa's model and grandpa's mentoring and nana's voice and they're watching us, and we're affecting now the next generation for Christ. Let's pray.